Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Yumiko Nakagawa, and it's great, always great to worship with you all. Sorry, let me just situate myself. Am I being centered? Do I look okay? Yes, I think it's okay. Um, before I start, a little bit about me, since I see some new friends in here, and I'm sure there are some new friends online as well, so good morning. Uh, again, my name is Yumiko. I was born and raised in Japan, and Japan is where I also became a Christian. How that happened uh, may be a story for another time, but I wanted to share about this one prayer I prayed shortly after I became a Christian. I was 21 and still living in Japan and knew almost nothing about Christianity, God, or the Bible. So when I became a Christian, evidently I wanted to learn so much about God. So I read a lot. I went to church every Sunday and any other time that they have Bible studies. I talked to a lot of Christians in my life at church or just whoever I can meet. And the more I get to know God, it changed me. Following Jesus became the purpose of my life, and I was willing to do anything, anything, anything for God, except for one thing. I remember at church, somebody, I don't remember her face or her name, but somebody shared about her life as a missionary elsewhere outside of Japan. According to her, Living as a missionary is a wonderful thing because you will learn about reliance on God. And you also, you know, get to engage and see and engage in miracles. She was telling us this. I was like, this is such a wonderful thing. And you could tell that she means it. And I was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds horrible. And don't get me wrong. I think it's relying on God, doing miracles, and seeing all of that. That's so wonderful, and I'm not skeptical about that at all, and that's amazing for someone else. But do I want to live like that? No. (laughs) I thought, listening to her, oh, that's too intense. I mean, I couldn't imagine myself bringing myself right in front of somebody who's sick and praying and healing, that's a lot of pressure. And raising the dead, that's even more pressure, right? Like, or even like casting out demons. Oh, I'm so scared, too scared. So I was listening and thinking, oh, maybe that's something for like, you know, advanced level Christians. And I'm, I'm fine kind of being not advanced this is great. And she was also talking about all the stories of how she rely on God and God always provide. And I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's a lot of faith. And living in Japan and meeting pastors and missionaries in Japan, I got to learn there's so many people who acted upon that faith that God provides. And relying on that faith and the faith alone, so many people choose to serve as a pastor in Japan, which is really hard to do. Moving over to Japan to serve as a missionary, also hard to do. And I look at them and I'm so grateful, so amazed, and oh, wow, I'm so glad those people have such an amazing faith. But 
I'm fine. I, I, th- I just have one regular size of faith, and you know, I trust God about just a regular size, and I like being in this corner with everyone else who's kind of go about the day with a fine with not amazing faith, but just the fine size of faith. But I thought one day, well, I better, I better make sure I get to stay in this corner with everyone else with a regular size faith, because God seems to ask random things to random people. So I prayed this prayer that I still remember. I remember thinking, God, please, please, I'll do anything for you, but please let me not be a pastor or missionary. Please never ask me to do that. And as I was saying, thinking, you know what, I should, even if God says so, I'm just not going to listen. Irony of life, (laughs) in less than 10 years after that prayer, I got myself enrolled in a seminary, started serving as a church, at church staff, and eventually became a pastor. I even went back to Japan one year as a missionary, so irony of life. (laughs) But through those experiences, I now know that I had such a limited idea about being sent out by God. I thought only the special people uh, God will send only the special people. But that's such a limited understanding of what God means by sending out some people. Today we're going to be looking at, excuse me, today we're going to be looking at a Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 10. If you have the um, handout, it's in there. We didn't get to read the scripture today. Um, it's a familiar passage, and this is the passage when Jesus tells 12 disciples to go send out and tells all sorts of wonderful things we're going to talk. But as we see in this scripture, what Jesus says and what Jesus teaches in the Bible about sending out people, it's not scary. It's not as limited as I understand stood to be. But actually, being sent out by God is exciting. So I wanted to share a little bit about that from this passage today, and I hope that this passage will help us, particularly as we think of the questions of why church, why Wellspring, which is the sermon series title of current series. In the last two weeks, we have been focusing on the latter part of the question, why Wellspring? And because one, we want to be a mending church, And two, we want to be an equipping church. What that means is, individually, each of us, but also collectively as a body of Christ, we want to learn what it means to be loved by Christ. And also we want to learn, we want to become our true selves in Christ as disciples of Jesus. And third response to the question, why wellspring is Releasing, because we want to be releasing community, sending community. Releasing or sending out means that being sent out by God. Again, individually, personally different way, and also at the same time, collectively as a body of Christ. To do what? To build the God's kingdom with Christ. Releasing means being sent out by God individually and collectively to build the God's kingdom with Christ. 
And today's passage, I think, has a lot to offer for us to learn about being sent out, which is the core of releasing. So I'm excited to read this Bible. If you happen to have a Bible with you or have the handout, keep the handout out or keep the Bible open at Matthew 10. And we're going to ask two questions as we read this. First, oh, thank you. Thank you, Neil. Oh, see, I cough and the water comes in a chair. Thank you. Okay, so the two question is who and what. First question, and who is being sent out in this passage? Who are the people sent out in the passage? Second question, what did Jesus instruct the people, instruct them to do? What did Jesus instruct them to do? Who was sent out by Jesus? 12 disciples, as you see in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2 to 4, 12 disciples, and their names even listed in those two verses. And as we read the names of these people, there's some interesting interesting names included as well, but when you look at it, you think, okay, these are maybe advanced Christians as I would have called so many years ago, or maybe in crowd of Jesus, people who are really close to Jesus, maybe the top 12 of Jesus' followers of that time. But when you think about these people, these names, some of the names came up in other parts of the Bible. Some didn't. This is the only time their names are mentioned. When you read these 12 names, these 12 names are the name of the people who spent a lot of time with Jesus received the teaching of Jesus, and saw Jesus in action in close proximity. And these are the 12 people whose primary identities are no longer their occupations or their family lineage. These are the 12 people who live as the disciples of Jesus first and foremost. That's their primary identities. That's what those 12 people share in common. So what I see in the verses 2 to 4 are not just the kind of famous disciples at the top 12 disciples of the day, but the names of the people whose lives were changed by Jesus. So to me, the the answer to the question, who was sent out by Jesus, is this. Individuals whose lives are changed because they met and lived with Christ. And these names of, uh, 12 names precisely, is, it means more than just a collection of 12 random names. These 12 people actually serve as a symbol of God's people as a whole, as a group. In the Old Testament, it was the 12 tribes of, of the Israelites represented the whole all of the God's people. In today's passage, these 12 people serve in lieu of 12 tribes of Israelites and represent the people of God as a whole. These names serve as a new symbol of new God's people. So when Jesus sent out those 12, symbolically, Jesus was sending out the whole of entirety of people of God. So, based on these passages, the question that we can ask is, 
who among us are going to be sent out? Who among us today are going to be sent out by Jesus? The answer is everyone. Not only the special people, advanced or regular size or small faith, small size faith like I do, everyone who embraces the identity in Christ as the disciples did, all of us, the people of God, are being sent out by Jesus. Second question we want to look at is, what did Jesus instruct the 12 to do? The answer is in verse 7 and 8. This is such an easy question. I had, side note, I had a pop quiz one time, and that was fun. I was thinking of doing that, but this was too easy, so I didn't do pop quiz. Verse 7 to 8. So what did Jesus instruct 12 to do? Proclaim the kingdom of heaven as is at hand, and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Sorry. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Please note that these are not, again, random challenges given by Jesus. Jesus didn't put together these random things and say, okay, let's see what we can do. These are difficult. Let's see if you can do. What Jesus instructed them to do, proclaim the kingdom of heaven, and heal and heal and um, the sick and raise the dead and cleanse those who with the leprosy and drive out demons. These are what exactly Jesus exactly what Jesus had been doing in the previous parts of the Matthew of the book of Matthew. Earlier in the book of Matthew, uh, records two different things that Jesus did. First thing, teaching on God's kingdom. The second thing that records is that Jesus giving a preview of what that kingdom of God looks like. Matthew 5 to 7 records the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus taught on the kingdom of God and principality, how the kingdom of God will work and how drastically, radically different the kingdom of God will be compared to the world that we live in today. And in the following chapter 8 and 9, we see Jesus demonstrated how things will look like in the new kingdom by healing the sick, raising the dead, driving out the demons. Men and women, Jews and non-Jews, all were restored to the true selves by the power of Christ. And that's how it will be in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what Jesus instructed those 12 to do. Do as what I have been doing. Jesus instructed them to do what he has been doing by the authority vested in them by Jesus. Jesus is telling people to go. Go tell people that God's kingdom is here, just like I've been doing. And do and show the people how the kingdom will be different. This is how demonstrate how the new kingdom will look like, just as I have been doing. That's what Jesus instructed the 12 disciples to do. A different kind of kingdom, a different kind of king. The world had only seen a king in a splendor thus far. A king who is strong, king who rules with the power, sits high and mighty on the throne. But Jesus didn't come as such. 
didn't come to rule his kingdom with power. He came as a different kind of king. Yes, Jesus on, the power, uh, on this earth used his power to heal the sick, to provide for the hungry, to welcome the stranger. Jesus was the provider, protector, shelter for the sick, weak, and marginalized. And it's not just that Jesus used his power differently than other kings. Jesus was someone not only used his power differently, but Jesus is someone who became the weak, the despised, naked, hungry, thirsty, and crucified. Christ, the ruler of all, with all the power in heaven and on earth, came to this world as a baby, vacating his throne in heaven, and he continued to walk with the weak until he reached the cross, where he became nothing, practically naked, nailed to the cross, bleeding to death. He became nothing. He became powerless and despised. On the cross, Jesus, mighty God, was hungry, thirsty, lonely, covered in dust, sweat, tears, and blood. And Jesus became nothing. That's our king. And this king, who became nothing on the cross, rules this new kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. Kings of this world conquers the world with the power, but the kingdom of God is won by Jesus, who choose, who chose and chose to become powerless. Whether it's military power or political, financial, cultural, positive, negative, power is the primary currency in this world today. And the more we have, the better. The rich and the powerful, like us in a global standard, we receive special treatment. We get to, we have access to many things that the rest of the world don't have. We're well fed, looked after, clothed ourselves in nice clothes. And that's True with the Christians too. Even Christians congregate around the power. Some of us may equate glorifying God with gaining um, political power, social status, and cultural influences. There's nothing fundamentally wrong, and this can be a really powerful strategy for us to do kingdom work. But I think all at the same time, it's important for us not to forget power that we use, the power that we have, is not going to be the primary currency in the kingdom of heaven. And more importantly, that's not how Jesus inaugurated God's kingdom on this earth. Jesus didn't conquer the world with the power, quite contrarily. Jesus inaugurated a kingdom by becoming powerless. And Jesus invites us to do the same. We don't build, I think Jesus invites us 
to build the kingdom, not necessary by increasing our influences or our power or our voices. I think instead, Jesus invites us to build the kingdom by serving the poor, looking after the sick, and do what Jesus did on this earth. When the world heads to the power, the kingdom way directs us to go opposite way. And Jesus invites us, instead of congregating around the powerful and the rich and the power and fame, Jesus invites us to congregate ourselves around the least among us and to do what Jesus did on this earth. So what did Jesus instruct the 12 to do? Jesus instructed them to do what he had been doing, proclaim the kingdom as at hand, approaching here on this earth with their own words and with their own actions. And that's what being sent out means. Because God restored us, because God healed us and saved us, with Jesus, we live as Jesus did on this earth. Because of what God has done with God, we do what Jesus did on this earth as it is in heaven. And that's what my coworkers at Revolve Life Mission do. I work as a mission pastor at Revolve Life, which is a faith-based non I'm supposed to say faith-based nonprofit, not Christian ministry, faith-based nonprofit. And together with donors and um, volunteers, Revolve Life feeds and clothes the folks without, um, uh, who live on the street, who don't have housing, and provide support to get them off the street. And this past week, I don't know how many of you know this, Wall Spring Church partnered with the River of Life and provided over 300 meals at River of Life. Okay, I don't know if 300 meals sounds a lot, but which 300 meals means that's a dinner for two days for all our guests and a little extra lunch for all the staff, about 20 of us. So um, people are so happy. Everybody got to eat very well. Um, I think it was Anna and her family and Robbie, and I'm sure there are other people who lend hand to prepare this amazing, massive amount of meal. And it was a delicious Kahlua pig. And when a bunch of us who went to serve at River of Life uh, started serving the dinner, the staff, night, night staff told us, oh, it's going to be slow today. We only did like less than 150 yesterday. So we're like, oh, okay, cool. But the word literally got out on the street, and the people on the street said, hey, it's a Kahlua pig today. So the more guests came on, line got long. We ended up serving 200 people that day, which is a lot for this time of the month. And we had a more extra. So on behalf of the, all the guests and the staff at River of Life, I thank you, Wellspring. Thank you very much for everything you did. Thank you for your generosity. And I know um, for the people who served this past week, but who also served in the past, I know many of you actually are supporting us as individual donors. So thank you. I deeply, deeply appreciate and not only I, but everybody deeply appreciates what you have been supporting us. And I can go on and tell you more about Revolve Life Forever, but 
we are running out of time. So let me just tell you about one coworker or co-minister, as I call um, today. And feel free to tag me later. I can tell you more about River of Life. But here is one coworker, Angela, at the UC. Because of the COVID, we had to change many things, like we had to wear masks. So as you see, Angela's wearing masks, and that's how we serve our guests. Also, we had to adjust our operation drastically. So instead of having every guest coming in, sitting down with us, and then serving dinner with lots of volunteers, we now have about 10 staff ministers handing out the takeout meal every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Monday through Friday. And these 10 ministers are the, on the front line, providing the basic needs, building a relationships with each guest, and offering anything they, they need, from the meal to hygiene kits to a prayer. And Angela, that you see there, is one of the frontline ministers. Every day, every, uh, every day at 6.30, Angela and the kitchen staff and a few of us uh, gather together and pray. Angela almost always pray for our guests. And one day, she prayed for this one particular guest. It was the guest that she saw outside the door as she walked in way earlier in the morning. It was a rainy day, still dark, around 5.30 that she comes in. And this guest was passed out right outside of our door. She was half naked, covered with all sorts of stuff. And when Angela trying to wake her up, she could not, like she just passed out. So that's who Angela lifted up in the prayer that morning. I still remember Angela's prayer. She prayed God, and she just kept saying, God, please help her, please help her. And she's not supposed to be like that. You don't want her to live like that. No one is supposed to be living on the street. And she was crying as she was praying, and I still remember this. She was crying perhaps because she knew a thing or two about living on the street, how challenging life can be, how cold and harsh people can be, and how hard it is for somebody like our guest to get off the street. When Angela prayed that prayer, I felt like I was listening to God's heart. No one is supposed to be living on the street like that. In Angela's tears and prayer, I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus weeping for the guest, just as Jesus did for Angela so many years ago. Many years ago, when God saw Angela struggling, Jesus wept for her. Angela, you're not supposed to live like that. I made you joyful, beautiful, wonderful. I made you perfect. You are not supposed to live like that. Life beat her down, and that's why she was the way she was. But the love of God gave her strength to get up. Against all odds, she overcame all the obstacles in her life, and she rebuilt her life in a way that many of us would not be able to. And now she serves, um, now she serves as a sign of God's healing and a restoration herself. 
but she also serves as a means by which God restores others. I know serving along with her, I received the healing, I received God's restoration through her. And many of the guests received the encouragement from Angela every day. And be invited to live differently than they've been living. See, Angela is a great example of someone who was sent out by God to do what Jesus did on this earth. God loved and cared for her when she was sleeping by the beach when no one paid attention. So she does the same to our guests. Our guests may be an eyesore to us, or maybe a burden, but they are God's beloved. Underneath what we see, there's an image of God. So Angela, Angela treat them as such. By, and by doing so, she's bringing God's kingdom reality into this earth. As much as we celebrate Angela's restoration in a ministry, though, the truth is not everyone's Angela. There's not enough Angela in this world. Every morning, we at River of Life pray for our guests to come to know Christ, to get off the street, to be back in a relationship with their friends and family. But many guests keep coming back for every single meal for so many years. Some of the guests, honestly, when I see them, seem to be beyond help, beyond hope. And it's sometimes it's really hard to see God's image in them. What we do does not fundamentally solve the issue of homelessness. Unless there's systemic changes, homelessness will persist. And homelessness is just one of many, many more significant and complex challenges that our society faces. Whatever we do at River of Life is not even a drop in this huge bucket of this broken world. Donors and volunteers and partners, staff of River of Life, we don't solve the issue of homelessness. I'm not even sure, to be frank with you, I'm not even sure how much of noteworthy positive changes we're making. But I am sure of one thing, and I came here today to testify this. Partners like you and ministers of River of Life are building God's kingdom every day. I testify I'm here today to testify that God's kingdom is here on this earth in the small corner of Honolulu at River of Life. And I say this not based on the meals we serve every day, not based on the numbers of people who got rehabilitated, get off the street. Those are all great measures and goals that we strive for. But I make the claim, big claim of God's kingdom is here on this earth because I see Jesus working in the way my co-ministers greet our guests by name, asking how they're doing this morning, how their family is, what can they do for them. In the ways the ministers treat our guests with dignity, because of the image of God in them, even though it's so hard to see in each one of them, God says, God created 
each one of us in the image of God. In the way that I see Jesus working, in the way that, that, the way that our queer ministers treat our guests with respect, not only we see God's image in them, but because they see King Jesus in the weak, in the hungry, in the thirsty, in the stranger. When people, and John, you're not the only one, I work at a homeless ministry, and when I see some of the guests, I do cross the street, walk away. And I'm sure many of us, when we see um, people like our guests, we look at the way, we hope they don't bother us, because we don't know what to do. But together with volunteers and partners like you, staff up, ministers of River of Life, life runs towards them and I care for them. And when I see them doing that, I see the kingdom is here, by the way, how parents, how the partners and ministers of River of Life are doing exactly what Jesus did on this earth. The world and our own perception may say our guests are burdened, eyesore, lazy, subject of pity, and beyond our hope hope and assistance. But the kingdom way says, no, they are not. They are beloved of God, just like us. God created them in the image of God, just like us. They experienced the hardship, just like us. Life broke them down, just like it would have broke us. And the kingdom way directs us, encourages us, and inspires us to see them in the way God sees them, not the way our mind tells, not the way the world sees. And when we choose to do that, it's not easy, but when we choose to make a, take an action to see our guests as God sees them, see the world as God sees the world, we are proclaiming God's kingdom is here on this earth. God's kingdom is built when each of us individually but collectively choosing to live as Jesus did. Live as if we are already in a God's kingdom and treat one another's like we would in heaven. Ultimately, God's kingdom is not about different kind of law, different kind of governance. It's about how we treat each other is going to be drastically different in the kingdom of God. Building God's kingdom is not about how do we make our current world fit into what we believe. Building kingdom is about how we choose to see God's kingdom today. It's about us. It's about us, the believers, saying, no, we see God's kingdom even in this broken world, and we are going to live accordingly to that conviction. And this is a call for each one of us uh, and as a community. And I might even say, even if you don't believe in God or the Christ died for you, even if you're not sure about the whole idea of church, or maybe you have not sure about Wellspring particularly, but even so, this Jesus command is the same 
as it was for the disciples 2,000 years ago, as says in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples, all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Some of you are already living to that response. And some of you are ready to do that. And maybe you haven't been living in this way and you want to res- live a life to respond to Jesus' commandment. And some of you honestly, maybe in a different place, and thinking, why do I have to do this exactly? Or how am I supposed to do that? I'm not even sure about God or Jesus or church or Christians. What a great question. If that's the question, I know a place you can go. If you are men, I think there's a men's gathering in November 19th. So that's a great place for you to go. Really be honest about where you are. And they'll love to hear that and talk with you. If you're not men, that's okay. We can crash the party. No. <laughs> we will not go. But I invite you to join the small group. That's a great place for you to process or contact any of the pastoral staff, and I would love to unpack that with you. And let me end this with this thought. The book of Matthew begins with a promise. There's a baby coming to this world. His name, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's our promise. And this book begins with a promise and ends with a command from this Emmanuel, Jesus. Because of Emmanuel, God with us, we now have a tremendous freedom to respond to this the commandment that Jesus made for us. So my prayer for you, each individually, but also collectively as a group, is for us to work really hard to find a response to Jesus' commandment. Let's not settle with the abstract idea of, okay, Jesus said to go make a disciples, It's about posture. It is true, but let's challenge each other to go beyond that. And let's not default into what we're familiar with. We can encourage each other to go beyond our familiar culture and a praxis to respond to this last word in the book of Matthew. So as I end this time with the reading of God's word, may this this word will challenge you, inspire you, and it encourages you, for you personally to go beyond what we have known of what it means to be sent out, but we as collective body to go beyond what we're familiar with. Let me read the commandment of Jesus Christ, our King, Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. Hear the word of God, Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some, some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely, I am with you always. I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came, lived, and died for us. Emmanuel, Jesus, God is with us, and we give thanks to our God. Amen.